All right, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, again, thank you so much for attending another episode of BHP or Bible History Project. Uh, today, we're going to digress just a little bit and talk about what is to take place prior to the Great Tribulation. As you all know, the Bible warns us about tribulation, and there are common tribulations we face in our life. It is needed for us to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what the apostles tell us, because it refines our faith, it strengthens our commitment, and develops conviction so that we can be truly the disciples of our Mashiach, Yahushua. However, the Bible also speaks about the great tribulation, and this is an event unlike any event in the history of mankind. Hence, we need to prepare for that time. This is why God gave us his scriptures, because through his scriptures, we find hope. And how can we find hope through scripture? Let's read what is recorded in the book of Romans 15 and the verses 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So how can we obtain hope as we study scriptures? By learning from whatever was written. You see, there is a purpose for why God has written what is recorded in the Holy Scriptures. There's nothing there by accident. Yahuwah is the true author of the Holy Scriptures, and he places his scriptures for a purpose so that we can learn from the past. Because when we learn from what is recorded, we have hope about what is to take place in the future. This is the basic theme of the Bible History Project. And we can already see that even when it, whatever was written long ago in the Old Testament, it also points to future events, right? We have patterns of prophecy, patterns which are indicative of types that is to be fulfilled in the future, one of which are the many types that refer to the fulfillment of Yahushua as Mashiach and King. There are many other um, biblical references that point to future events, which is why we need to keep studying the words of our Almighty Father. And so what also is the purpose of studying the words of God? Let's read the book of Thessalonians 5, 1, 2, 3. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The Bible says that we who study the scriptures should have knowledge about the times and the seasons. In other words, we need to be watchful of the events that take place in our life. This is why from time to time, it's good to be plugged in to know about news taking place, not just here in the Far West, but also in the Middle East and also in the Far East. We need to be plugged in to know the events taking place because when we understand the events taking place nowadays, for example, the pandemic, the economic crisis, the, nat the natural disasters, the wars and rumors of wars. When we see the events happening today and we look at this Holy Scriptures, we can see a pattern. What's the purpose of the pattern that is revealed when we study Scripture and look at daily events taking place today? 
we will understand the times and the seasons. We will not be caught by surprise when the Lord is going to come. This is why, brothers and sisters, we should rely upon the Holy Scriptures to guide us as far as interpreting the events of the times. This way, we will not be destroyed when Yahusha comes again. And so what should we be watchful for? And what does Yahusha instruct us to do? Matthew 24, 42 and 44. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I'm sure most of us, if not all, we have been anticipating the coming of our King, right? I think ever since we were young, I think our grandparents, our parents kept telling us judgment day is at hand. Yahusha, the Christ, well, back then it was Jesus, right? Jesus is coming soon. That's what they will tell us. And so we believe that. And it's true because we are living in the end times. And especially today, we need to heed this warning of Yahusha. We must watch so that we can be ready for the appearing of our king, the son of man, Yahusha HaMashiach. But what should we be watching for? Remember, for us to fully benefit from scripture as an aid to prepare us for what is to come. We need to look at the events through the lens of scripture, especially end time events. It's a good thing before Yahusha went up to heaven, he gave us some signs. Why so? This was the question raised by his disciples in Matthew 24, verse 3. Now, as he sat in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so when Yahushua was confronted by his disciples, they were so eager to learn from him. They asked Yahushua, our king, what is the sign of your coming and also the sign of the end of the age? And so they were asking for a sign. And in response to this question of the disciples, what did Yahushua say? Let's read four down to eight. I think you're familiar with these passages. And Yahushua answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. Pestilences. And earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And so when Yahushua was asked. What is the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. Yahusha gave not one or two, but he gave many signs. Why? So that we can be sure, we can be certain about the pattern, the prelude that would lead to not just tribulation, but eventually for his second coming for the day of our salvation. So what were these signs that was mentioned by Yahusha? Sign number one, there's going to be many who will claim to be the Mashiach, okay? What else? Sign number two, wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. Is it true that during our time, there are many 
nations at war. Absolutely. There's always been war in our world. There's a lack of peace in our world, our world. And this is true even today. What else? Famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. When we speak about famines, you probably still remember, I think it was the 1980s, when there was like a, a, a famine that uh, caused so many people to lose their lives. But famine is something that is existent ever since the dawn of civilization. But it's more so pronounced, ironically enough, during an age when we are able to produce an abundance of food. That is the proof. It's a sign of the times because it affects the whole world, even if we can actually produce food with great abundance. What else? Pestilences. I think many of us know what is in the minds of so many people today, right? It's the pandemic. I mean, for the first time, a virus, a pandemic, has actually caused so many changes in our life, not just in third world countries, but all nations throughout the world. It is, it is as though the pandemic has held the whole world hostage. And this has been ongoing for over a year now. And we are still suffering from its consequences. So pestilences are getting worse and earthquakes and natural disasters in various places. And then Yahusha says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. And so the point is, when we see these events take place one after the other, it tells us that we are getting closer and closer to the event that Yahusha calls the great tribulation. This is why these are parts of the prelude to the great, to the great tribulation. However, it doesn't climax there. There's a sign that's even bigger than any of these. What is that sign? Let's read the book of Matthew 24, verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. If there was a sign that was a sure sign, a sign that would mean it's very close to the end of days, it would be this sign Yahusha is speaking about. In fact, Yahusha points us to Daniel, and then he says, read it and understand. Because what Yahusha is speaking about here is what will happen right before the end comes. What is that? There's an abomination of desolation that will take place. Someone will stand in the holy place. Now, what is that in reference to the holy place? It is the temple of God. When Yahushua spoke about this prophecy, there was a temple in existence. But shortly after he ascended to heaven, what happened to that temple? It was destroyed by the Romans, 70 AD, all right? However, Yahushua says that there's going to be an abomination of desolation that will take place in the holy place of that temple, which means what? There's going to be a temple that will be built again. There will be a third temple. What was the first temple? The one that was built by who? David finished by Solomon was destroyed, right? What was the next temple? One built by Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, Ezra and them, right? 
And that was the temple that Yahusha found when he arrived, although Herod did not like it because it did not exude the glory of the first temple. So he tried to uh, add on to it, but it was still the second temple, right? Because it was never destroyed, because it was, a, it was never re-anointed. And so that was the second temple, but that was destroyed 70 AD. And so after 70 AD, Yahushua says, there's going to be another temple somehow, some way, or Matthew 24, 15 to be fulfilled. There has to be a rebuilding of the temple therein. Jerusalem and Yahusha even says, Go to Daniel. That should be an eye opener for us. We should go to Daniel. And I think we've studied Daniel before, especially in reference to this prophecy of Yahusha. What is that prophecy mentioned or written by Daniel that we need to read and we need to understand? Let's go to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And so according to the prophet Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, Yahuwah God, through an angel, gave him the plan and the program that Yahuwah God has for the people of Israel, this would end in the final seven. And this, the final seven mentioned there is the final seven years of the people of Israel. And we talked about this before numerous times. So I'm not going to go back and rediscuss Daniel chapter 9, 24, all the way to 27. What we need to understand is this. The last seven years that was given through a prophecy to the prophet Daniel that was referenced by Yahushua, speaks of a person who will confirm a covenant. And so this person will somehow bring peace. He will somehow establish the covenant again. Because at this point, when we look at the people of Israel, they really need to, uh, uh, to have their covenant renewed. This is why they need a Mashiach. They need a Messiah. However, at the middle of the seven, which is at 3.5 years, what's going to happen? This person who confirmed a covenant in the first place will go to the wing of the temple and he will set up the abomination that causes desolation after he puts an end to sacrifice and offering. And so, according to the prophecy in Daniel, not only will there be a new temple that will be built. There's going to be someone who will confirm a covenant, which would allow them to again have the sacrifices and offerings in place. However, it will be stopped and it will create an abomination that causes desolation. But who is this person mentioned here? Well, let's go ahead and read what is recorded in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, 26 and keep reading to 27 after the 62 sevens the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing let's pause for a while who is the anointed one referred to there we studied this before who is that yahushua and so yahushua would die he would be risen he would have nothing he's going to go to heaven because he was not he was not able to get israel right to to call to get him to get him to agree that he is their mashiach 
And so he has nothing. And so he goes to heaven. And after he goes to heaven, what's going to happen? The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So after Yahushua goes to heaven, something will happen to the city of Jerusalem. It will be destroyed together with the sanctuary or together with the temple. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. Desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So according to the prophecy in the book of Daniel, something's going to happen after Yahushua goes to heaven, right? What's going to happen? The first thing that's going to happen after Yahushua goes up to heaven. Bible says the city will be destroyed. What city? Jerusalem. What will happen to the sanctuary? It will also be destroyed. So the temple would be destroyed. As a matter of fact, Yahushua even describes what will happen to the temple of Israel that stood there in Jerusalem. Let's read the book of Matthew. Go back to Matthew 24. You can see that 24 of Matthew and Daniel chapter 9 are closely related together. This is why when Yahushua spoke about the abomination of desolation, he tells you to go back to Daniel and read it and understand it. But Yahushua, before giving this reference about Daniel, he was speaking about the physical building, the temple. This is what he has to say to the disciples. Yahushua left the temple, that was the building, right? And was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. According to Yahushua, the temple that was prophesied to be destroyed after Yahushua goes to heaven. Who prophesied that? Daniel, right? Yahushua knows about that prophecy. He knows what's going to happen to the temple. But Yahushua takes it to another level. He says, not only will it be destroyed. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. It was going to be completely destroyed. And so was this prophecy fulfilled? Yes. I mean, if you have the internet available, I think many people and many historians can attest to what happened to Jerusalem in 70 AD, right? 70 AD, Rome destroyed both Jerusalem and the temple. The Romans had hoped to retain the temple as a trophy. They weren't actually planning to destroy it. Did you know that? But it caught fire during the siege. And Titus had to order his troops to disassemble it stone by stone. Why? To recover the gold that was inside. Precisely what Yahushua predicted in Matthew 24, about 40 years earlier. And so what Yahushua said, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down, was fulfilled to the T. The detail of that prophecy was fulfilled as attested to by historians. But there's something interesting behind the scenes events that took place during the siege of Jerusalem by the Romans. Let's read here. It is interesting that Caligula had also ordered his statue to be placed in the Holy of Holies. That was the plan, to desecrate the temple, to place his statue on the Holy of Holies. However, 
Petronius, the general in charge of Judea, knew it would precipitate a revolt just as it did in the days of the Maccabees, so he didn't do it because Petronius, he's a study of his, he's a student of history. He knows what happened when Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple, right? It led to a revolt, which led to Hanukkah, celebration of Hanukkah, because they were able to, to cause the, Maccabee, the Maccabees to, uh, to run away. The, the uh, Antiochus Epiphanes were defeated. And so Petronius did not want that to happen again. And so he did not agree with Caligula. We should not place this statue in the Holy of Holies and desecrate the temple, causing the Jewish people to gather together and revolt. So he didn't do it. When Caligula found out that his order had not been obeyed, he ordered Petronius to be executed. Right? However, within a few weeks, Caligula died. And due to a mix-up of the messages sent by sea, the news of his death arrived in Judea before the execution order, which was thus nullified. After the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, there has been no temple to be desecrated. So it still waits rebuilding. And so I believe that mix-up that happened, the mix-up of the messages sent by sea, that was not by accident. We believe that Yahuwah's hands were in there because it was not yet time to desecrate the temple again. This is going to happen, not during 70 AD, but some other future date after, after the rebuilding of the temple. And so this rebuilding of the temple is very, a very important and significant marker, if we can call it that, because once the, the, begin, the uh, building the rebuilding of the temple begins to take place there in Israel. Brethren, we need to be on watch. We need to be very prayerful. And according to going back to the book of Daniel 9, 26 to 27, after the destruction of the temple, after the destruction of the city, what was going to happen next? Well, according to the prophecy, the end will, the Bible says after the destruction of the city, the end will come like a flood because after the destruction of the sanctuary and the city, the punishment for the people of Israel did not end. It continued. And so this punishment came like a flood. In other words, they would be dispersed or scattered. This scattering was foretold even in the Old Testament because of their sin against Yahuwah God, they would be punished, they would be scattered like a flood. And this took place during the Jewish dispersion. We now call this the diaspora, because of the diaspora, not only was the Jerusalem city destroyed, Israel as a nation ceased to exist. There was no longer a state of Israel, no Jerusalem. No Israel because of the diaspora, but it doesn't end there. What else will happen? Bible says war will continue until the end. Desolations have been decreed. So Israel as a people would suffer persecution, which would, would, would be an attempt to annihilate, to wipe out from the face of the earth, desolations, the people of Israel. This is why when we think about the people of Israel, we think anti-Semitism, right? Because through the years, they have become victims of severe persecution 
And if we can cite one reference, it would be Adolf Hitler. But that was not the only case and the only incident. Ever since their dispersion from Jerusalem, everywhere they went, they became the subjects of mockery and destruction. And war and destruction would follow them. This is what you find when you look up the, the history of the Jewish people after the diaspora. And so, according to the Holy Scriptures, there's a big problem because for Daniel 9, 27 to be fulfilled and for Matthew 24, 15 to be fulfilled because of Daniel 9, 26, guess what? Well, the temple in Jerusalem must be rebuilt. But for the temple to be rebuilt because of what happened in Daniel 9, 26, it's an uphill climb. It would have so many, so many hindrances and obstacles. Why? Because for the temple to be rebuilt, first of all, all these miracles have to take place. Number one, there has to be a gathering to form the nation again because the people of Israel were scattered through, throughout the world. And so there has to be a gathering again. And that, how, how can that be possible when Israel was so hated, right? Not only that, they have to get Jerusalem back. Not only that, they have to prepare all the temple utensils and the servants who would work together with their Mashiach so that they can again perform the ceremonies in the temple. What else? The red heifer has to be introduced so that they can be purified and can again fulfill their priestly duties in the temple. What else? There has to be their Messiah because their Messiah will have to be the one to rebuild the temple. So for the temple to be rebuilt, all of these things have to fall into place. And when all of these things are falling into place, and at the same time, you have the pandemic, you have the economic decline, you have the wars and rumors of wars. What does that tell you? It is the perfect prelude to what? The tribulation. This is why when we watch events unfolding, brethren, today, more than ever, we are living in a time when the return of our king is within our line of sight. But if you were to go back to 72 years ago, right, just 72 years ago, it was unthinkable that the third temple would be ever built. Why? Because there was no Israel 72 years ago. There was no Israel. And then a miracle happened. What was that miracle? 1948, Israel became a nation. That was probably one of the most unexpected events in the history of man. Israel becomes a nation. Not only do they become a nation, eventually they capture Jerusalem. And in that warfare, it had a miraculous outcome because even though they were outnumbered, they were able to defeat those who were trying to get Jerusalem. And so Israel captured Jerusalem in 1967. And since 1967, there's been a movement in Israel to rebuild, guess what? The Holy Temple. Today, many of the preparations for the third temple have already been completed. As a matter of fact, if you go to the website Temple Institute, you can see even on their Facebook page, all the different events that they're, that they're doing to prepare for the temple. I think just last Passover, they had a rehearsal for temple sacrifices. 
that involve actual animals. And they had a makeshift temple. And so they're practicing, they're rehearsing for the coming of their Mashiach. It turns out during Passover, we too were having our rehearsal, right? What do we call it? Yahusha's Passover. But if you go to the Temple Institute, they're preparing so many things for the third temple, including the sacred worship vessels, the priestly garments to be worn by Levites in temple services. Raise your hand if you're a Levite. We have a Levite over here, right? And so these Levites are being gathered for temple services. Moreover, over 500 young Jewish men, descendants from the tribe of Levi, have been trained as temple priests to fulfill their duties of worship and sacrifice in the temple. So everything is kind of falling in place. But the main obstacle was, and currently is, well, the temple mount is currently occupied by what? A dome of the rock. And so to rebuild the temple, the problem is you have to remove that dome that is on top of there. Who's going to object? The Muslims. They're not going to let you touch that thing, right? And so that is a big problem. And so how on earth can this temple be rebuilt if the Arab world will not allow anyone to remove this precious holy uh, temple of theirs, the Dome of the Rock. And so we have a standoff, right? And so what's going to happen? Well, it turns out when some individuals did uh, research concerning the actual place where the temple was built, according to Tuvia Sagiv, who's an archaeologist, he's, he argues for both a lower and southern positioning of the temple on the Temple Mount because he conducted a series of studies concerning where the actual temple was built. And guess what? It was in a southern and lower place to where the Dome of the Rock sits at right now. And they even did infrared studies to confirm it. And so the actual place where the temple once stood, the Temple of David, Temple of Solomon. Well, it's not actually in the place where the Dome of the Rock now sits. So what does that mean? We now have an opportunity for a place, right? The Israelites, uh, the nation of Israel, they can now build without having to remove the Dome of the Rock. Is that progress? That is significant progress. But the progress doesn't end there. What else uh, has come out just recently? because of the presidency of one Donald Trump. Well, the Abraham Accords Declaration, foreign policy, and the major architect, of course, was Donald Trump, right? This is why a lot of the Israeli people are calling Donald Trump the modern-day Cyrus the Great, <laughs> because if you still remember Cyrus the Great, he was the one who told Jude, uh, people of Israel, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And so because of President Trump and his relation with the people of Israel, steps were taken to allow peace to be established in that in Jerusalem, called the Abraham Accords Declaration. And in that declaration, we, the undersigned, recognize the importance of maintaining and strengthening peace in the Middle East and around the world based on mutual understanding and coexistence. 
as well as respect for human dignity and freedom, including religious freedom. We encourage the efforts to promote interfaith and intercultural dialogue to advance a culture of peace among the three Abrahamic religions and all humanity. And so what is the motivation behind the Abrahamic Accords? It is for peace. I want you to uh, put that in your mind. Because in Daniel chapter 9, the verses 27, this ruler who's going to come, he's going to bring what? Peace. Initially, there's going to be peace. This is why Apostle Paul, in the passage that we read earlier, he said they will say peace and safety, and then what? Sudden destruction is going to come. This is why the beginning, the initial stages of the dialogue that will involve significantly this ruler who's going to come will be dialogue that involve peace. Peace not only amongst the three major Abrahamic religions, which is Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, but for humanity as well. That is the impetus. That is the force that's driving uh, them to, to put this together. And just recently, December 2020, even Morocco agreed to normalize relations in the U.S. brokered deal because it was uh, their idea. They're the ones who initiated it, right? And according to this agreement, Israel and Morocco agreed on Thursday to normalize relations in a deal brokered with U.S. help, making Morocco the fourth, the fourth Arab country to set aside hostilities with Israel in the past four months. As part of the agreement, U.S. President Donald Trump uh, changed longstanding U.S. policy and recognized Morocco's sovereignty over the Western Sahara. So we can see in preparation for the Third Temple, 1948, Israel became a nation. 1967, Israel captured Jerusalem. 2020, Abraham Accords Declaration. And so this allows the people of Israel more leverage, more negotiation power to be able to actually start building the temple, the Third Temple of Israel. But there's something missing, something very important. You know what that is? Yep, the red heifer, right? Because without the red heifer, you could not have a third temple. Why? What is the significance of the red heifer? Uh, according to the Messianic Prophecy Bible Project, the ashes of the red heifer and ritual purity in Numbers 19.9, a man who was clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. They are to be kept by the Israelite community for use in the water of cleansing. It is for purification from sin. Why is this needed? Because for, uh, well, let's go ahead and read the Temple Institute explanation. According to the Temple Institute, the organization dedicated to preparing for the, cons the construction of the third temple in Jerusalem, the cleansing waters, take note, are necessary to ritually purify the Temple Mount area, the sacred vessels, and the entire Levitical priesthood that are all being prepared for service today. The waters of sanctification were also sprinkled unto all those who were impure, and many were first purified in the process before entering the courts of the temple. And so to have the priests and the garments and the vessels that are used in their ceremonies and rituals, there has to be purification from sin. And according to the book of Numbers, 
This is done through the red heifer purification process. Now, for a red heifer to qualify as a red heifer that is worthy of being used for purification of sin, certain conditions have to be met. What are they? Number one, the red heifer must be absolutely perfect in its redness. And so just one white hair, one gray hair, one black hair, just one hair that's not red, it disqualifies the heifer. It was to be three or four years old, three years old, okay? It must be free of any kind of internal or external defect or blemish. It must not be used for any type of physical labor. And so these are the very stringent requirements for the heifers. And how rare is it for, you know, to have um, a red heifer, to actually have a red heifer? In gotquestions.org, according to the rabbinic, rabbinical tradition, there have been nine red heifers sacrificed since Moses' time. Since the destruction of the second temple, no, no red heifers have been slaughtered. The rabbi Maimonides taught that the 10th red heifer would be sacrificed by the Messiah himself. Look at that. <laughs> Those who anticipate the construction of a third temple are eager to find a red heifer that meets all the conditions because the red heifer ashes will be necessary to purify the new temple. Many consider that the appearance of a red heifer will herald the construction of the temple and the return of Christ. According to the Temple Institute, a group advocating the construction of a third temple, a flawless red heifer was born August 2018 in Israel. And so when will it be three years old? 2021, which would be what? This year, right? August 2021, it should be qualified to be what? A red heifer sacrifice. And so when you look at all these events kind of all falling into place, it makes you want to warn, wonder and think, is it possible that within 10 years or even less, is it possible that we can experience the coming of our king? Could be, right? Because all the signs seem to point that way. Because everything that is needed for the temple to be rebuilt steadily, miraculously, they have been achieved one step at a time. Gathering to form the nation, check. Getting back Jerusalem, check. Preparing temple utensils, check. Red heifer. Maybe we should not put a check yet. A lot can happen between now and August. You know, so it could... We never know. Maybe someone would kidnap it <laughs> and destroy it or kill it, right? There goes the red heifer. You have to look for another red heifer. But then the big one, we have to find her who? Her Messiah. Because all of that would be nothing without their Messiah, right? But you can look at it this way. All of this is that have been fulfilled actually means probably their Messiah is about to come. Their Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, is going to come. You know, last year, you know, the beginning of the Jewish year, uh, beginning of the Jewish year um, is um, Feast of Trumpets, which is in September 2020. And for the new year, a famous rabbi 
gave the following message. Okay, I want you to listen towards the latter parts. There's something that he's going to say. I don't know if he meant to say it or he just kind of slipped out, but just listen. he ended with a smile. But you can feel his passion, right? What does he want to happen? He wants that the Mashiach, their Mashiach, the Jewish Mashiach, would come so that the temple could be rebuilt because this would usher in what? Peace, healing, and restoration. This is why they want all of you to pray that Hashem would send the Mashiach. And if you caught what he said towards the end part, what was it that should have caught your ears? What did you know? You notice what he said? Already here. This rabbi must know something. What do you think? He must know something. He said he's already here. Not only that, he's already pulling someone strings. So he has not been announced. He has not been officially revealed. But he said, and he's not the only rabbi that says this, by the way. He's not the only one. Many other rabbis have made a conclusion that their Mashiach is already here. And this Mashiach is going to soon reveal himself. And when he does, the temple will begin its construction and there's going to be peace in the land. Why do they believe that? We're going to watch another video. Uh, Morgan Freeman has a, he has a mini series 
it's uh, it, it's uh, about conversations with something like that. It's like uh, uh, investigating different religions, and he's interviewing um, the, the Judaism representatives of Judaism about the coming Mashiach and the rebuilding of the temple and what that would bring to humanity. They're a messiah. In Judaism? In Judaism. Jews invented the messiah. But it's not the same messiah that most people think about. Okay. Because right? when Christians think of the messiah, they think of someone who's divine. Yeah. They think of, you know, the end of days. What we have for the messiah is a man, a king of this earth, who's going to bring peace among the nations in this world. And he will not be divine. He will not be divine is a man, a king of this earth, who's going to bring peace among the nations in this world. According to Jewish tradition, he has three things he's supposed to do. Number one, he's going to reconstitute the Jewish kingdom or the Jewish state. Number two, he's going to bring peace with the neighbors. And number three, he's going to rebuild that rebuild temple. The temple. Here we are. This is 2015. What are you going to do now? What is contemporary Jewish position on the temple? The Jews think of the world in terms of this dream that once existed in the world that was taken away. The Jews want to bring back into the world. That is the reconstruction of the temple. The reconstruction of the temple as the, the, the crowning symbol of this era of justice and peace that we're supposed to be assisting to bring back into the world. The belief of Judaism is once they rebuild the temple and they have their king, their Mashiach, it will usher in a new age of peace, a new age of uh, power for the people of Israel. Okay, so that's their mentality. And so they're looking for, they really want their Mashiach to finally reveal himself. However, there's always been a lot of so-called messiahs and so-called Israeli or Jewish Mashiachs over the years. For example, um, there was uh, this uh, person, his name is it's kind of hard to pronounce, Lubavitcher Rebbe Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Look at that name. In, in, and this is a, one of uh, thousands of posters and billboards throughout Israel. The text reads, this is what the text reads, long live King Messiah. His followers believe that he is the Messiah. And even though he died in 1994, they believe that he will resurrect in the end times as the Messiah. And so when you think of Judaism, they actually have a lot of different factions, different sects. They're greatly divided. There are some who believe their Mashiach has already arrived in this person. Uh, kind of hard to pronounce the whole name, but he's the one they used to believe. In fact, even after he died, you know what they did? Well, they soon after his death, they launched a worldwide multi-million dollar campaign with a full-page newspaper ad declaring faith in his messiahship. If you look at that picture, those are all rabbis and their signatures, all claiming that he is the messiah. The campaign continues today on buses and billboards throughout 
Israel and Jewish communities worldwide. And so this tells you that the Jewish people are hungry for their Mashiach to come. And they, there's a belief for those who don't follow uh, this person as their Mashiach, there are those who believe that there's already the, the Mashiach is already here on earth and soon will reveal himself. Now we have to be careful with what we uncover when we do research using YouTube and internet, okay? Because there's a lot of false information out there. And it's easy to make your own conclusion about who the Mashiach of the Jewish people is. And so before we make conclusions, we have to understand certain things. There are different sections of, Jew, uh, of Jewish dome. And number two, um, the Jewish people are hungry for a Mashiach. And because of their hunger for a Mashiach, they tend to idolize certain individuals who display a gift of the Torah or the gift of explaining the laws of Moses. One such person that has become popular lately is this following individual. I'm going to show you.
So after watching that video, what does that remind you of? <laughs> Brings back memories. But you know, you can tell one thing. This person, this rabbi, a young rabbi, he's only about 32 or 33 years old, born in 1988. This young rabbi is being idolized, right? By so many uh, Jewish people. I mean, even the elderly rabbis were kissing his hand. You notice that? You notice he was the center of whatever was happening there. So this rabbi is very powerful, very powerful. And whenever he speaks, um, he fills up the arena or the venue where he is speaking at because of his popularity. He is known as a, a gifted person. In fact, a genius when it comes to the Torah, the law of Moses, even at a very young age. And if you, can, if you want to read his biography, his name is actually Shoholo. Yehuda, yeah, and there's some information on the internet about his history. And so he's a humble looking individual, but people, throngs of people adore him, kiss him to the point that perhaps are even worshiping him. Could it be that he's a candidate for Mashiach, the Jewish uh, Mashiach? Could be. I mean, there are many so-called candidates. There are many so-called Jewish Mashiachs, but we don't know for certain who the one who is going to initiate the construction of the third temple will be. The best thing we can do is watch, right? And as we watch, we read and look at our scriptures. But when people are drawn to the peace that is promised, by Israel when they finish their temple. Because one thing for sure, one that once the temple is finished and their Mashiach is going to rule and reign, he's going to be attractive to many people. He will be seen as a person who will bring a covenant of peace. This is why in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27, he warns, he tells us that he will bring a covenant to many, a covenant of peace. And so many are going to flock to him. And so we, as followers of Yahusha, because we identify Yahusha as our Mashiach, whenever uh, Israel would bring a candidate for messianicship or a candidate to be the, the Mashiach, their Mashiach, we have to be careful because we might be drawn to them. You know, the people of Israel, they reject Yahusha as their, their, their Mashiach. Do you know why? Do you know why they reject Yahusha as their Mashiach? The person who put this on the internet, the first one to put this on the internet, was a Spanish, Hispanic um, uh, Jew. And he's not claiming that he is the Mashiach. There's no public announcement like that. But he also is very blatant when it comes to rejecting Yahusha as their Mashiach, as our Mashiach. Why is that? Well, let's go see what he has to say. Now, so according to the Christian Bible, Mary married to Joseph, Miriam married to Joseph, gets pregnant by someone else. That means Jesus is not the son of Joseph. That means that Joseph cannot give tribe to Jesus. That's the Bible. Joseph, Joseph is not the father. 
Jesus is a son of idolatry, son of sin. Jesus is the son of sin of Mary. Therefore, he failed totally as a messianic candidate because the most basic way to apply to become a candidate is that your father is the son of Yehuda, David, and Solomon. And Jesus, Yeshu, Yoshki, is none of them. Okay, so basically that's uh, the fundamental reason why they reject, they reject Yahusha as Mashiach. Why? Because of the genealogy of Yahusha. They say that for you to become a candidate, to become a Messiah, well, you have to establish a genealogy that leads you all the way to who? To David and also to Judah and even Solomon. Because if you don't have connections uh, via uh, an actual lineage, that connects you to David and to Judah, then you cannot be the Mashiach. And there's a, there's a biblical reason for that, right? Because the Bible does say he is to come from the line of David. He is called the Lion of Judah. And so that alone tells you that what he's saying concerning the lineage is biblically valid and accurate. However, because of that premise, he rejects Yahusha as the Mashiach because they say... When we use the Christian Bible, basically the New Testament, to show the genealogy of Yahushua, it follows the line of Joseph. Yes, Joseph is connected to David, right? And to Judah. But Joseph physically is not connected to who? Yahushua, right? Why? That's because Mary, the mother of Yahushua, was conceived or Yahushua was conceived in her, not through a sexual intercourse with another man, but being conceived by the power of Yahuwah God or the power of the Holy Spirit. And so theoretically, you cannot use Joseph as your way of showing that Yahushua is connected to David and to Judah. Therefore, he is disqualified as Mashiach. Right? So what do you say about an argument like that? What would you say? <laughs> because that seems to be like a valid argument. But what do we need to understand? Do you know when Yahushua was prophesied to come? When was Yahushua prophesied to come? Perhaps the first prophecy in scripture. It was way back during the days of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve fell and they were removed from the Garden of Eden. Yahuwah gave hope to humanity, and he gave a prophecy about the coming Mashiach. What did Yahuwah God say? Let's read the book of Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so this seed of the woman who becomes the fulfillment of this seed, the promised seed in the Garden of Eden. Who is that? That's Yahushua. Take note of what, how uh, Yahuwah describes this seed. Bible calls it the seed of the woman. And so this gives us a clue when it comes to the lineage of Yahushua. Because he came from the womb of a woman, the womb of Mary. We just need to look at the lineage of Mary, Mary right? 
Where can we find that? Let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 3, 23 to 33, but we kind of condensed it. We, I did not want to go through all the different names. Now, Yahushua himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, and then all the way to the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jess, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminab, Aminadab, the son of Ram, son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah. In Matthew, the Bible gives us a genealogy that connects Yahusha through Joseph. In Luke, the genealogy is not through Joseph, but through Mary. But wait, I do not read the name of Mary there. Of course not. Because the standard use of genealogies during Bible times was not to use the names of females. But the names of males. And so we get the clue that this is the line of Mary because it says there, Joseph, son of Heli. But do you know who the father of Joseph is? Do you know who? Jacob. Yeah, but a different, it's a different person, not Heli. So if you go to Matthew, it's a different person, not Heli. Heli is related to who? Mary. And so Heli, uh, was, his name is used to refer to the lineage of Mary. Because when uh, Mary got married to Joseph, then Heli's name could have, could have been used in the genealogy, according to the traditions and the law. And so this lineage traces Yahusha's ancestry all the way to David and all the way to who? Judah. And so you cannot readily see this if you read the scriptures on surface level. You have to do a little digging. And so we find that there are two genealogies in the Holy Scriptures concerning Yahusha. One that traces the lineage of Yahusha through Joseph. And one through Mary. And so when we look at the seed of the woman that was prophesied, and we look at the lineage, the ancestry of Mary, because she became the woman to whom the seed would come from, right? When we look at her lineage, it takes us to David and to Judah. This is why we believe Yahusha is not disqualified from what the person was talking about. And why do we believe Yahushua is the Mashiach that was prophesied? Isaiah 53, 3 down to 8. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we've read this so many times. It's about the suffering of Yahushua, about dying on the cross. If you are having a conversation with a Jew, explain to them this prophecy. Because how would you explain Isaiah 53, 3 to 8, which is in their Hebrew Bible? Who is the fulfillment of that? And so many Jewish rabbis have been perplexed by passages like Isaiah 53 and Zechariah chapter 12 because it speaks of a Mashiach who's going to die. They're so perplexed by that. The way that they get out of that uh, kind of conundrum is they postulated two Mashiachs. Mashiach ben David and Mashiach ben Joseph. Two Mashiachs. Yeah. Mashiach ben Joseph is the Mashiach who's going to suffer and die. And then Mashiach ben David is, go, is going to be the Mashiach who's going to rule. 
and bring peace upon the earth, a political Mashiach. That's the only way to reconcile these passages in Zechariah and Isaiah. And so when you bring up the topic of Isaiah 53 to a lot of Jews today, they don't want to really talk about it. And if we ask a question about Isaiah 53, uh, 3 to 8 to the person who posted a video of that rabbi, well, this is what he has to say. People tell me, what about Isaiah 53? Well, if it doesn't fulfill the basic requirement, it doesn't really matter. It's a phony. It's a phony. It's like a $3 bill. They don't exist. He can try to pass himself as a currency, but he's just fake. That was the point of my videos on Hezekiah Ben David. Yeah. And so according to him, even if you go to, if there's no point in discussing Isaiah 53, because at the very beginning, fundamentally, Yahusha would not even be in the consideration. He would not even be considered because of his uh, lineage, because his mother gave birth through him after being conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they dismissed Isaiah 53 altogether and dismissing Yahusha, they said he is a phony. Of course, we're not surprised, right? Because when the Jewish Messiah would come, what they're basically telling you is Yahusha is phony. That Yahusha is not the true Messiah. That he is the false Messiah. But we believe that Yahusha is the Messiah. And in fact, he even prophesied about what will happen together with the pandemic, with wars and violence and earthquakes and pestilences, together with all that, what is also going to happen? Well, Yahusha says in Matthew 24, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is. Do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear. They will perform great miracles and wonders in order to deceive even God's chosen people, if possible. Listen, I have told you this ahead of time. So Yahushua has warned us beforehand. There's going to be false messiahs, people who will claim that they are the messiah that the Bible is prophesying. Let us be aware of that. And we should not be surprised because even Apostle John mentioned this in 1 John 2, 18. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming and already many, many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. So two things we understand here. There are many Antichrists. There are many figures in the past that have appeared and have fulfilled the spirit or the role of the Antichrist. However, there is one, the Antichrist, that will be the ultimate fulfillment of that role. And that is the one that we are awaiting to see and to be revealed. And what does it mean that there are many such Antichrists that have appeared already? First John 4, 3. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Yahushua, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. So what is the meaning of there are many such Antichrists that have appeared already? It means there are people who have the spirit of the Antichrist. What is the spirit of the Antichrist? They do not acknowledge the truth about Yahushua. And so 
they place themselves in the position of Messiah. In other words, the spirit of the Antichrist is the spirit that causes you to believe and to think that you replace or succeed or take the place of Yahusha as Mashiach. And there are many in history that fit the bill. This is why John the Apostle said there are many antichrists because the spirit of the antichrist have occupied the minds and hearts of many individuals in the past. But there's one, the antichrist that is going to come. And when he comes, many people will know about it. Why? Why will many people know about it? 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Yahushua Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the brethren in Thessalonica, because many of his fellow followers of Yahushua are thinking that Yahushua has already appeared. And that those who belong to him have been gathered together with him already, that they have been left behind. That's what they're thinking. Yahushua has come, but we have been left. And so it means we don't truly belong to him. So they're worried, right? Because who wants to be left behind when Yahushua comes? But then Apostle Paul says, no. Uh, concerning the coming of Yahushua the Christ that hasn't come yet. So you should not be troubled because something has to happen first before Yahushua comes back. What is that? Let's continue. Three down to four. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come or will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Apostle Paul is telling them that appearing of Yahusha cannot yet come because something has to happen first. It is that day when the man of sin, the son of perdition, will reveal himself. Take note. There are many who have taken and played the role of this man, the son of perdition, the man of sin. But they have not fully fulfilled it. But in the future, if you read the book of Daniel in Matthew 24, 15, there's going to be a day when he will sit in the temple of God, show himself that he is God. That is the abomination of desolation. That's going to come. And once that comes... What would that mean? Matthew 24, 15, 21. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And so Yahushua says, when we see the abomination of desolation. When we see this person, this ruler who will desecrate the temple, who will sit in the temple and declare himself to be God, to be worshipped by all, that's when we know the great tribulation is about to happen. And this is why when all these events are taking place, 
the wars, the earthquakes, the famines, the pandemic, poverty, together with what is happening in Israel, the preparation for the building of the temple, and now the emergence of Messiahs. What does that mean? It tells us we are headed towards the upcoming tribulation. This is why, brothers and sisters, as we watch what is happening in Israel, let us watch in such a way that will prepare us. What must we do? What is the instruction of Yahusha? He said, watch and be ready. So how can we be ready? How can we be ready? Because we know what is happening now at this very hour is what we call the prelude to the upcoming great tribulation. Now that we are being ushered to that great event, what do we need to do? How can we watch and be ready for the Son of Man? These are the four things we have to do, brethren, so that we can be prepared for that. What is one thing we have to do? Acts 3, 19 to 21. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Yahusha Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. What must we do to prepare ourselves for the upcoming day of Yahusha's return? We have to repent from all our sins. The Bible says Yahusha is kept in heaven until the time of restoration of all things. What does this tell us? It tells us that just as the world is falling apart, just as the world is being prepared for judgment, Yahuwah is restoring all things. We are watchful. We watch not only the events in Israel, the events throughout the world. We also watch the work of God's restoration. Because brethren, look around you. Yahuwah God is restoring. Why? Because he wants to refine the work that he began for his people to be saved. This is why we need to be watchful also of how Yahuwah God perfects, restores, and refines the work of his hands. What is the purpose of God's work of restoration? In the book of Corinthians 13, 9 to 10, for our knowledge is fragmentary, incomplete, and imperfect. And our prophecy, our teaching is fragmentary, incomplete, and imperfect. But when the complete and perfect total comes, the incomplete and imperfect will vanish away, become antiquated, void, and superseded. This is God's work. As we go towards the end of the world, he is perfecting his work, refining his work of salvation that he began during that time called ends of the earth. And so we should not be surprised that he is refining and perfecting us. It is also in the prophecy. How is the unfolding of our perfection? of our refinement men mentioned in the holy prophecies. Zechariah 13, 9, this third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say Yahuwah is our God. What is included in Yahuwah God's work of refining and perfecting? It is the revelation of his name. This is why when we look at the third group that is going to go through the fire, when it comes out of the fire perfected, what will they do? You notice what happens when they come out of the fire? Refined. 
Bible says they will call on my name. They will call on the name of Yahuwah their God. They will say that Yahuwah is their God. And when will this happen? This perfecting, this refinement of the people of God take place in Acts 2, 17 to 21. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of Yahuwah will be saved. And so we're not surprised surprised right before the end comes. What shall be revealed to all his people? The name. Because when we call upon that name, we receive the power of God's salvation. And this is why we're not surprised even during our time. We ourselves, we, not, we are now called by that great name, Yahuwah. And also the name he gave to his son, the name of Yahushua. These are but the unfolding of prophecy, the result of the work of his restoration. And so those are two things so far that we need to do. Number one, repent. Number two, watch for God's work of restoration and embrace the name that has been given to us. The name that has been given for our salvation, the name of Yahushua. HaMashiach. What else must we do? We're almost done. The book of Matthew 24, 44, 46. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. What also must we do? To be prepared. So that when Yahushua comes, we will be ready for his arrival. Bible says we have to be faithful and wise servants. Who is a faithful and wise servant? The one whom Yahushua comes and finds doing what they have been instructed and entrusted to do. This is why as we prepare for the great work, for the great day of Yahushua's arrival, we need to do the work. We need to do what we have been given to do as people of the assembly of Yahushua. That's number three. Number one, repent and renew our lives. Number two, watch for God's work of restoration, including the restoration of the name of God and his beloved son, Yahuwah and Yahushua. Number three, let us be found doing the work, the good works that Yahushua called us to do. And lastly, number four, what also must we do? The book of Luke, final passage of our studies today. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. What also must we do? So that we can be prepared when Yahushua comes back. We must watch and we must pray always. We must watch and pray in a way so that we will be able to stand before the Son of Man. It's not easy to stand, especially with what's happening nowadays, especially with the great deception at work, one calamity after the other. It's not easy to stand. But Jehovah God has given us the ability to stand 
so that when Yahusha comes back, we will be able to stand before the Son of Man. And how do we do that? That will be the topic of our worship service this coming Saturday. This is why we invite all of you and your friends to attend and pay close attention to what we need to do so that when Yahusha comes, we are found watchful, prayerful, so that we can be standing, not falling, but standing to be before the Son of Man, Yahusha HaMashiach. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray. Everlasting Father, yes. Almighty God, Yahuwah, yes. thank you so much because you are at work ever since that day, that day when Adam and Eve fell. Yes. You have announced the work of your redemption yes. to the promised seed. Amen. Thank you, for we know who that seed is. Yes. Our Mashiach, your beloved son, the Christ. Yes. Yahusha, our king, the fulfillment of your plans and purposes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for revealing this to us. Yes. Thank you for giving us faith in him, faith yes. in you. Help us to maintain that. Amen. We know that as we draw closer to the end of ages, yes, we will be tested in various capacities. Yes, Who are we to stand on our own? Yes. We will fall. We will stumble. Yes. But we rely upon you. Our eyes will look up to you. Yes. We ask you, loving Abba, yes, may you look upon our faces. Yes, may you come to our rescue. Yes, Give us the strength we need, yes. the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, teach us to be wise yes. so that when we watch and when we look at events taking place today, yes. we will not be deceived. Rather, we shall receive your power yes. that will set us free and bring us to salvation. Amen. Teach us to share our faith yes. with our fellow human beings, yes. to do so with love, to do so with faith and yes. gentleness, that we can be effective as salt of the earth and lights of the world. Amen. Yahushua, our King, yes. we have faith in you. You are our Mashiach. Yes. There are many imposters. We are not surprised, yes. but our faith is on you yes. because we have felt your presence. We have felt your fellowship yes. and you oh. dwell deeply in our hearts. Amen. We will hold on to you always. Yes. Oh. Loving Mashiach during difficult days in our life yes. because we know, as you have said, these are but the beginning of sorrows, yes. oh. prelude to the tribulation. And so we know things will get even worse. Yes. And so we will look up to you. Teach us every day yes. to place our trust in your hands. Yes. Please do not forsake any of your servants. Yes. Heal us if we get sick Amen. and strengthen every day our faith. Amen. Father, please remember our children that they will come to know the Mashiach, yes. that he will be in their midst always in their life. Amen. Bless our families, Father, so yes. that when all is said and done, yes. all of us will be included to reside in your promised kingdom. Amen. We believe, loving Abba, that you have listened to our prayers, yes. for we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Amen.